Um, I'm excited. We are starting a brand new series. Our summer series is going to be all on the topic of the Holy Spirit, specifically looking at the book of Acts. And uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to take different chapters. We're going to actually go through it. Uh, but we're going to look at key chapters of how the Holy Spirit worked in the early church. And let me just say to you this morning is that I believe that the Holy Spirit is still working in the church today and wants to do great and mighty things through your life if you allow him to, to do that. And there's some great things in the book of Acts. Now, I, I, let, let me just clear up some things because I believe when we talk about the Holy Spirit, depending on what you're upbringing is or what church background you have some of you just say man i grew up in church we never even talked about the holy spirit it's more like father son holy bible we didn't really talk about the holy spirit for some of you you were brought up in some where like that's all we talked about um and so i know sitting here today we probably have two camps here we have we have those that uh don't ever talk about the holy spirit or really didn't know a whole lot about the work and the purpose and the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then we have others that maybe there was this overemphasis and it relied heavily on emotionalism and extra biblical teaching that not necessarily lined up with the Word of God. So, what we're going to try to do here is to try to find some balance and middle ground with this topic. I know when I speak on this topic, many times I'll have I'll get comments on both sides. So I get people that come to, well, Pastor, you've got to talk more about it. Or, Pastor, I don't know if what you're saying here is really true, so, uh, or, or I agree with that. So I know if I get comments on both sides, that means I'm right in the middle. So that's good. I like that. So I'm going to try to keep everybody right down the middle of, of, of the road. So I think the best place for us to start is the book of Acts. And here we see the historical start of the church and how the early church was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great things. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you just a... Uh, a solid foundation this morning, uh, an introduction. We're going to unpack this uh, idea and topic of the Holy Spirit uh, so we can use it as a springboard to jump into all the different things that the Holy Spirit uh, did in the early church. And I still believe the Holy Spirit's working today and can do great things through the church uh, today. So over the next weeks, we're going we're gonna to look through the book of Acts. We're going to see how the church worked under the influence of the Holy Spirit, hopefully to gain a better understanding of the Spirit's work in the life of a believer and in the life of the church. So let me just give you some background here to the book of Acts so we understand what's going on here. The book of Acts is written by Luke, the same author of the Gospel of Luke. And what we know about Luke is this, very interesting. Luke was a physician. And I think this is pretty cool because Luke, this very educated man, this physician, pointed people to Jesus, who was the great physician. And we thank God that Jesus can heal. And we thank God that God gifts doctors who can also help us in the healing process. And everybody said, Amen. Thank God we live in America where we can go to a hospital and get help. Those of you that have been on overseas trips with me know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you're in the middle of nowhere and there's no help. I was in El Salvador one time on my first missions trip 
back in 1995, and we were doing some ministry to children up in these huge coffee plantations, and we're up on the side of the mountain, and they would pay men to go into these fields with huge machetes to cut down the brush. And so they'd be walking through the brush to to cut down all the the grass and everything. And we saw a man who was just crying over in the corner. What we would do is we'd just do kids things because the kids would just run around while their parents were in the field. So we'd go and we'd drive this bus and we'd jump rope with the kids and do gospel illustrations with the kids and tell them about Jesus. And all these kids would come out of the field and we'd blare music. It was really cool. We got done with one of these programs and we see this man, he's just crying over in the side. And what happened is he had the machete and he cut off his toe with the machete and it was bleeding all over the place. Now we are in the middle of nowhere. There's no 911, there's no ambulance. So there's this toe and we're like, does anybody have ice? We're trying to package the toe so we can get this guy into town. And um, we, we helped the guy. One of the teens actually took off his shirt, wrapped it around the man's foot. It was awesome how these kids just stepped up to the plate and just started ministering these teens to this man. So we got this man in the car. We drove him into town, which was probably like an hour and a half to two hours to get him into town. I don't know what happened to this man. I don't know if he ever got his foot reattached or his toe reattached or not. But thank God we can, we're minutes from a hospital, amen? I think we kind of take that for granted sometimes. But here Luke, he's a physician and, and he's pointing people, say, hey, there's this man, he's the great physician, he's going to come. And he's going to heal people. And so Luke was also, we know about Luke, is that he was a very close associate of the, uh, the Apostle Paul. And, and he, he traveled with him quite a bit. We know Luke was very intelligent because the way he wrote the book of Acts and the way he authored his gospel, the gospel of Luke, the way he used the Greek language was, was just impeccable. So we know that, that he was just very wise and intelligent. And what's interesting about the book of, of Luke and the book of Acts is that who it's addressed to. He, he, and we're going to read this in, in just a moment because he, he addresses this book to a certain person called Theophilus. And, and this person, Theophilus, is very interesting in, in what he helped uh, Luke to accomplish. Uh, both uh, Luke and Theophilus were Gentiles and their names were Gentile names, meaning they were not Jewish. And what, what Luke does is he calls Theophilus most excellent Theophilus in his writings. And why he calls him most excellent Theophilus is for this reason. It was an official title. It was a state title. And at the end of the book of Acts, when he says most excellent, we see this word used probably three times. And when it's used, it's spoken of being a Roman governor or a political leader. So most likely Theophilus is this wealthy, educated part of the Roman government. And his name is very interesting too, because Theophilus or the word Theo, where we, where we get the name Theo, means lover of God. And what's interesting, a a biblical scholar gives us insight to the person of Theophilus. And what Theophilus most likely did was he helped fund the writing of the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of, of, uh, or the uh, book of Acts to help pay the cost so that Luke could just write these books and give us an account that we have today. Theophilus was a great man. 
And what this did was it freed up Luke to completely concentrate on the writings of these books. Ambrose, a 4th century church father, talks about Theophilus this way. I, I like it. He says, So the gospel was written to Theophilus, that is, to him whom God loves. If you love God, it's written to you also. So, so it is for him and all who love God, and it goes out in an effort to encourage others to become lovers of God. So Theophilus was this lover of God, very well educated, very wealthy, who helped Luke in the writing of these two books. And so what Luke does is he dedicates his writing of the book of Luke and the book of Acts to Theophilus. And uh, so we know what Luke started in the gospel of Luke. He continues uh, in the book of Acts to write about here's how the church began. Here's what the church looked like. Here are the major events that happened in the early church through the acts of the apostles. And here's how the early church worked through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So Luke in his gospel shares who Jesus is with Theophilus. And then he shares his investigation of the person of Christ. And so basically he says to Theophilus in my gospel, here is Jesus Here's who he is. Here's how you can get to know him in the gospel. But then in the book of Acts, he shares the acts of the apostles in the power of the Holy Spirit. So basically what Luke is saying, he's saying, here's what happened, Theophilus. It's amazing. Let me tell you about it. Let me give you an historical facts of what happened in the early church. So as we read through the first eight verses of the book of Acts, I want you to read it as kind of a letter dedicated to this generous servant, Theophilus. And so as you read it, just don't read it as, okay, I'm reading another book of the Bible. I want you to read it as Luke saying, Theophilus, thank you. I'm, I'm dedicating this to you because of all the things you've done to help me to write this letter. So we are thankful that we have this letter today that we might read this book and know how God worked in the early church. Thank the Lord for the word of God that we can read and study and know for ourselves. So, so if you got your notes or your Bibles, you can look up at the screens too. Let's look at the first, uh, first uh, eight verses of the book of Acts. And remember, read it like he's writing it to Theophilus, all right? So he says this, in the first book, and what's that first book he's talking about? He's talking about actually the Gospel of Luke. He said, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so he writes this book of uh, the, the gospel of Luke to show the proof that Jesus is alive, that he, everything he said he did, and you can trust the person of Jesus being the son of God. And he says, and a, while, and, and, and a while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to... Now, here's the thing. This is really cool. We've got to get this. Luke is writing Theophilus, and he's saying, okay, here's what Jesus told them to do. He taught them before his ascension, and here are some things that he told them to do. And one of the things he told them to do was he ordered them. Now, when Jesus gives you an order, do you have any options 
No, you say, oh, Jesus gives an order. This is a command. This is what we are to do. So he says, well, stay with them. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And your notes there, just underline that word promise. It's very important that we understand that the Holy Spirit is a promise. He says, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John did what? He baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Okay, they're looking for this political move. And Jesus turns it right back to what's more important at this time because eventually when Jesus comes back, guess what? He's going to set up his rule and reign here on earth. But he said to them, It is not for you to know the times nor the seasons the Father has fixed by his authority. But this is what he wanted them to concentrate on. He said, But you will receive power. Underline that word power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here's an important promise that Jesus is giving his early disciples that Luke records for us saying, listen, the most important thing you need to concentrate on, listen, is not what's going on politically, not what's going on environmentally, what's not, not what's going on educationally, he says, you need to concentrate on the Spirit because if you don't have the Spirit, none of those things matter. You, you will not be equipped to do anything to impact this world for God unless you are filled with the power of my Holy Spirit. And I think this is an element that the church is missing today. We wonder why the church lacks power or effectiveness in our world today. We may know the word. We may know what the word says. We may know religion. We've organized ourselves. We've organized ourselves in churches. We, we've, we have churches all over America. But you know what? There's a power that is lacking in the church today to be effective witnesses in the world. And Jesus says, unless you have this power in your life, you cannot be effective witnesses. And it's no different for us today. And that's why I believe it's important that we focus on the work and the personhood of the Holy Spirit. So in order to understand the work of the Spirit within the church, we need to understand the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some weird essence that's just out there, that's flaky and something I can't conceive of. The Holy Spirit is a person that works in perfect unity within the Trinity. So we need to understand that Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. He talked about this promise that God would send to every believer who trusted in the name of Jesus. So first, let's understand what is the Holy Spirit? Who is the person of the Holy Spirit? Before we dive into all the stories of the Holy Spirit and what he did within the book of Acts. So first, let, let's understand what, what's the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Because we do see the Holy Spirit 
in the Old Testament. And the, and the Old Testament does talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we see in the Old Testament is that the Old Testament, through prophecy, prophesied about a promise that would come to every follower of Christ. There was this promise of the Holy Spirit. So we understand in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit moved on people in certain occasions. The Holy Spirit moved on certain people when God directed. So at certain times, with certain people, God would empower people with his Holy Spirit. But here's the thing I want you to see. However, in the Old Testament, God promised that his Holy Spirit would not only dwell with us, but it would actually dwell in us. And that's the difference in the New Testament. It's not the Holy Spirit around us or with us or moved on people at certain times and in certain places, but actually there was a promise through Old Testament Scripture that the Holy Spirit would actually come into a believer's life when he would trust Jesus Christ to become his Lord and Savior. Let me give you a couple of scriptures here. One is from the prophet Ezekiel. And this is what Ezekiel has to say as he prophesied to Israel as they went through backsliding, as God judged them and, 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 and God uh, allowed them to be exiled to, to Babylon and, and allowed judgment to come into their country because of their backsliding. But here's the hope that God even gave Israel, a promise later that would come to those who trust God with their whole life. Ezekiel says this in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. It says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put, where? Within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and, and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit, where? Within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So it's not just a head knowledge. It's not just following God like, okay, it's just this religious thing that I have to go through. God says, I'm actually going to put my spirit within you and, and you're going to want to follow me because there's a desire within you to follow me, not just to do it religiously, not just to do it because you know that's the right thing to do and, and all this religious stuff got hammered in your head. I want you to follow me because my spirit's within you and you want to follow me. And you have a desire to follow me. And that's what it means to be born again. God has put a new spirit within you. That old man is dead. And now this new man has arisen within your life. And the old things that you used to, you're like, man, I don't want to do those old things anymore because there's a contradiction. That there's something that's, that's different in my life. That doesn't mean we're never tempted by sin. But now there's a conflict within my spirit of the way I used to live with the way I live now. And now all of a sudden, now we feel convicted about things because we have this new spirit within us. There's been a change in my life. That's the Holy Spirit that's given you that change. And so what begins to happen is, I'm like, wait a minute. I used to do this. Man, I, I feel convicted about that now. I used to talk this way. And now I don't want to talk that way anymore. I used to look at this thing and... Now I feel convicted about looking at those things, not because I feel guilty or condemned and somebody hammered all this stuff, don't do this, don't do that. All of a sudden, God's Spirit's within me and I feel this conviction because light and darkness can no longer accompany each other. They can't fellowship with one another. There's a, there's a conflict. And you're like, man, I, 
I don't like being a Christian now because before I was a Christian, I never felt guilty about it. I may have felt guilty for a couple of minutes, but then I was okay about it. You know, like anyone says, well, just, you know, just ignore it long enough and you won't feel guilty anymore. But all of a sudden now with the Holy Spirit within your life, you're like, man, I can't get over this. God keeps hounding me on this area of my life that I know I need to submit to him. That's the Holy Spirit. So this promise that God gave, he gave that to all those who trusted him. And he says, a day is coming when my presence will be actually within you, not just with you. And, I, and, 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 and you have to remember that in the Old Testament, God's presence dealt in the midst of Israel through the tabernacle. They could literally see God's Shekinah glory, the cloud settle over the tabernacle. When they were in the wilderness, they could see that cloud, that, that cloud, when it moved, they had to move. But when that cloud settled over the tabernacle, they knew this is where we are to camp. We are not to move until we see God's presence move before us. Remember? Fire by night, cloud by day. And even within that cloud, during the day, you could see the fire of God within it. That's when that, that was God's presence. It was with them. They could actually see his presence. Moses on Mount Sinai, when that cloud enveloped over Mount Sinai, when, he was given, when Charleston Heston was given the Ten Commandments. Remember that? There was God's presence right there. You could see it. The, the, the people that camped around the tabernacle could actually see the presence of God. That was God with them. But here's what I want you to understand. There's a, probably the best prophecy that I can give you hundreds of years before the Holy Spirit was outpoured upon the church and before uh, uh, Christ, uh, before Christ uh, was born and, and walked among us. Hundreds of years before this, the prophet Joel prophesied about the Spirit not only dwelling with us, but actually coming into followers of God followers of of christ so and i believe this is one of the greatest prophecies even peter quotes this very prophet after the holy spirit was poured out upon the church on the day of pentecost which was the second annual uh, harvest festival celebrated pente 50 50 days after the passover and so let's look at that joel 2 20 and 29 look at what the prophet joel says and this is giving encouragement to the followers of God, that, that God would pour out a spirit on all flesh, not just dwell with them where they could see that his glory, but actually dwell within them. And he says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So guess who that includes? Amen, Ruth. Ruth knows that. Includes everyone. And, and he'll get more specific. specific. He says, your son's, and your daughters shall prophesy, your, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, on, even on male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. And when the spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, Joel, or, uh, uh, Peter uh, gives this very verse to those onlookers that were saying, what in the world is going on with those 120 believers? And Joel said, you know what's going on. You know the prophecies as they all assemble in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, for this harvest festival. He goes, you know what's going on. The prophet Joel even prophesied about this, so you shouldn't be surprised by this. So here's the cool thing. This wouldn't be for a few people. But all flesh, young, old, male, female, sons, daughters. What a wonderful promise. It's for all who come 
to Christ. So even in the Old Testament, we see the promise and the working of the Holy Spirit. All right, now let's fast forward to the, to the New Testament. Let's look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And we can even see it in the words of Jesus because Jesus even talked to his disciples about the Holy Spirit coming to them. And the Holy Spirit would have a specific work in their life. So let's look at what the Holy Spirit does here in the New Testament. Here's what Jesus says. He, he gives us many workings of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit would do. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit, that he would be a comforter. I love that, that the Holy Spirit would be a comforter. Jesus speaks of this as John records Jesus's words here in John 14. He says this to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. Underline that in your notes. Underline that in that scripture. He'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. Now here's the kicker and will be in you. Now follow me here. Unless Jesus leaves, this other comforter cannot come. Who is he speaking about? He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. As Jesus is with him, the very presence of God was with them. Amen, Pastor Barden. All right. Okay. The very presence of God was with them. As Jesus walked with them, that was the very presence of God. Jesus says, I'm going to leave you in a while. The disciples are worried. And they're saying, well, wait a minute. You're going to abandon us. You're going to leave us orphaned. He says, no, 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 no. Because if I go, I will send you another one just like me in my essence and presence that will not only be with you, but he's going to live in you. And he's going to empower you. And one of the things that that Holy Spirit will do, the Holy Spirit will do, will be your comforter. And so Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be a helper, one who would literally come to our side. He would fill the physical presence of Christ. What's interesting about this word comforter, it was actually used in a court of law to denote a legal assistance or counsel of the defense, or an advocate. The Holy Spirit gives you, gives you strength when you feel weak. He, he, he stands in the gap, literally fighting for you. So Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come in you. He will be your comforter. When you are weak, you will feel strong. When you feel like you can't take another step, the Holy Spirit will give you strength and encouragement. He will come right by your side. He's going he's gonna to be your intercessor. He's going to be the one that's going to stand beside you and give you strength in, in situations that you felt like you could never make it through. Have you ever felt like you were all alone? And, and maybe there are times that you feel like, man, I, I just feel all alone. And, and Jesus, even those times that you feel all alone, there's always that constant presence of my Holy Spirit that will be with you and never leave you alone. The only way I can explain this, I remember I was on a missions trip, a bunch of teenagers to, to the Bahamas. We took this ship, this 60-foot ship, and went to these smaller islands, and, and we did VBS for the kids, and we painted a basketball court. It was, really, it was probably one of the funnest missions trips I took with kids. We snorkeled off the side of the boat and just lived on the boat. And we all stunk and smelled. There's no showers. You had to 
we, we had to take baths in the ocean. We called them joy baths because you had to use joy dis, uh, dish detergent because it was the only thing that was biodegradable. So some of these kids, after the first, second day, I said, I don't care. I'm going to jump. I soap up, jump in. I feel nice. Clean. Some of these kids were just so just particular about showers and stuff. After the second day, they stunk so bad that they just ended up taking joy baths. So anyways, it was just a fun trip. And I can remember we're, we're, we stopped overnight. This one little small, little deserted island. It was really fun. And, and, and the captain said, just be careful because there's rip currents and stuff when, when you snorkel and stuff. So we're snorkeling. I was with one of, one of these kids. His name was Michael. And I remember we're out snorkeling, and he got tired. <clears throat> and there's this, not a huge current, but I don't know if it was a rip current, but there was a current that began to take him out, and he began to swim and paddle, and he just got exhausted. And he's like, Pastor Martin, help me. I'm just getting tired. I thought he was kidding. I was like, oh, Michael, stop. He goes, no, I'm not. And he started panicking. So I'm like, 10th grade, I took junior life-saving. So I'm like, okay, what did I do when, when I was 10 years old? Junior life, oh, yeah, let me come up behind him so he doesn't grab all over me. So I swam up under Michael. I grinned my the chest, and, and I'm, I'm dragging him into shore. It wasn't, it, it sounded like I was like, you know, David Hasselhoff on Baywatch, but I really, it wasn't, it wasn't that, maybe it was, it wasn't that great, but I like to think it was. So I got him, and his mom was actually on the trip with us, and so I'm taking Michael, and, and, and I'm taking him in, and we're getting close, and all I remember Michael said, he goes, thank you, Pastor Barton, for being there. Thank you for being there. So I'm dragging him, I get on there, I said, I ain't doing CPR on you, okay? That's as far as I go. No, uh, he was fine, and um, uh, but I can remember, that, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. He's right there with us as our comforter and our helper in our, in our time of need. So Jesus, just, he's this advocate that, that fights for us, that's, that's our defender, and he's right there with us. So Jesus also says, you know, about the Holy Spirit, another description of the Holy Spirit. He says, he will be a teacher. I like that. He will be a teacher. In, in John 14, 26, it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is amazing. The, the Holy Spirit would help them in their understanding of the teachings of Christ. It would be the Holy Spirit that would confirm all the things that were already taught to them. The Holy Spirit's the author of the Word of God. And Jesus says, all the things that I've taught you, all the things that you read in my Word, the Holy Spirit will help confirm those things and confirm them in your heart and teach those very things that you're lacking. The Holy Spirit will help you to understand. I mean, we're not even getting into this yet, but there's this whole realm of the gifting of the Holy Spirit that will give you power for certain situations, that will give you wisdom and understanding in particular situations that will help you to discern something that's good and something that's evil. Whoa, that, that, that's when it gets really exciting, that kind of stuff. And the Holy Spirit, not only is there the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, but there's also the gifting of the Holy Spirit that He wants to gift you with knowledge and wisdom and understanding and hospitality and encouragement. Those are all gifts that God gives the church to help build up the church. We haven't gotten to that part yet. This is good enough for me right now, and it even gets better. And so he says this, this, the Holy Spirit will be your, your teacher. The Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth. The Holy Spirit will expose error, things that are false, things that are contrary to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will expose it. And I want, just want to give you a warning here, very important. 
just always remember this, that the word of God always confirms what the spirit is doing. Always remember this. The word of God always confirms what the spirit is doing. So if someone says that they are led by the spirit or the Holy Spirit is telling me this and it doesn't line up with the word of God, guess what we do with it? We disregard it. It's very important because a lot of people walk around and say, oh, the Holy Spirit's telling me this. The Holy Spirit's telling me this. The Holy Spirit, God's telling me this. Oh, he is? Okay, he's not telling me that, okay? So let's be careful here. And we start throwing around, this is what God's telling me. This is what, it, it has to line up with the word of God. The word always confirms the spirit. So, so he will be our teacher. Jesus also says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. So what draws you to Jesus' side is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws you. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts you of your sin. Um, Jesus says this, and he says in John 16, 8, he says, when he comes, he will convict the world, what? Concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit is truth and will convict the world of sin and rebellion and those who are full of the Holy Spirit speak the truth and the truth that, that comes against anything that is in opposition of what is godly or true. It comes against that. So it convicts you of your sin. So when you, you know there's something, there's a nagging in your spirit, there's something wrong there that's convicting you, that's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that draws you to the side of Christ. And when you come into the truth, and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you begin to step into the light of Jesus Christ, and that's when your life begins to change. Why is the world in such opposition to Jesus Christ, to the truth of Christ? It's because of conviction. They wouldn't stand up against and, and mock Christians and mock the truth of God if there was no conviction. It's because the truth sheds light on what is false. And so when you hear the truth, when you hear something like Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me, that's very exclusive, isn't it? That flies in the face of the worldview that is being crammed down our throats, relativism that says, aren't there many ways to God? I just read something the other day that just shocked me. It just, it just bothered me as I was studying for one of my messages in, in, in this whole series. I was reading a book. It's called Unchristian, what, what the World Thinks About Christians. It's a pretty, pretty neat book. But one of the statistics they found in their research was this, that between 21-year-olds, teenagers 21-year-olds to 40-year-olds, they said only 3% actually have a Christian worldview, which means they know who created the world, that actually understand why we're in the mess that we're in, and that actually understand how can we fix it. 3% can answer those three questions. They say when you go from 40 on up to adults, only 9% can actually answer those questions. Now, here's the problem. Let me just beat you up a minute. Let me just smack you around a little bit, okay? Here's the problem. If I don't even know why I exist if I don't understand what the problem of our world is, and if I don't understand how we can fix it, how can I stand up against other worldviews? So when someone comes along and says, well, there are many ways to God, 
if I don't understand my Christian worldview, I can't, I can't with any kind of intelligence stand up against someone and say, well, here's what the Word of God says. Here's what I believe that the Word of God says. Here's what Jesus says about himself. So when someone comes up to you and says, well, I believe there's many ways, God. Why, why would God be so inclusive? Uh, you know, you know it just, isn't there many ways? And it's, it's all nice and wonderful and very uh, inclusive of everybody and every religion. But then you've got to step back. And if you know the Word of God, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So that pretty much says there's one door to the Father, and it's Jesus Christ. That's not what I say. That's what Jesus said. So now that truth flies in the face of someone that says there's many ways to God. So then what I say to them is, your problem is not with me. It's with Jesus' own words. So now what you got to do is you got to try to prove that Jesus isn't who he says he is. And when you do that, you're going to find yourself in a heap of trouble. Because Jesus proved who he was. There's nothing to say that he didn't do what he did. You can't find the body, can you? So he rose from the grave. People don't deny that he healed people. Even historical evidence show that he did great and mighty things. So now what do you do? Now your problem is with Jesus. He either, he either is. So there's only two extremes here. He either is God. Not just a man. Not just a prophet. He either is God or he isn't. As C.S. Lewis said, he's either a lunatic, he's either a liar who, who, who gave us the greatest scam the world has ever seen, or he's Lord. He's either a complete lunatic, like C.S. Lewis says, on the same level as a poached egg, or he's a liar, or he's Lord. And I remember when I was talking with someone who, who had this other worldview, and when I gave her that quote, she was like, wow, I never heard of that before had her theology from Harvard University. I said, you need to go back to school. No, I'm just here. Um, that's what, so here, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of what? Of sin. It's going to bring the truth. And so when the truth comes into the picture, that's where the conviction of the world comes in. They come against that truth. So we're going to talk, I'm going to really get into Christian worldview with the end of our series. I am so excited about that message. I will be pumping that message for like a month in advance because I want everybody here for that message because I just am so impassioned about that that we know what we believe. Okay, then he says this about the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit will always exalt the Father and the Son. Here we see the perfect unison of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you all the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Perfect unison. I love how Tim Keller, great pastor in New York City wrote a lot of good books. One book he wrote that I just recommend is called Reason for God. Incredible book. If you want to get a good apologetic book and know your belief in God, and Reason for God is a great book to read. Tim Keller, he says this. He says, The Father, Son, and Spirit are each centering on the other, adoring and serving them. And because the Father, Son, and Spirit are giving glorifying love to one another, God is infinitely 
profoundly happy. Isn't that amazing? That's that perfect fellowship and unity that we see in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, let me just look at this. Think about this. When the Holy Spirit indwells the church, it's that same Holy Spirit that glorifies Christ and gives him all the glory. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it should bring unity to the body of Christ. If I'm truly filled with the Holy Spirit, then what I will do is I will glorify Christ in everything that I do. That I will want to serve other people. That I'll want other people to receive the accolades and not myself. That's exactly the working of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They work in such perfect fellowship in unison, glorifying each other, lifting each other up, working in perfect fellowship. That's how God desires the church to operate. The moment I say, oh, I've got this gifting. Look at me. I want to show it off. That's not a spirit-filled life. That's a life that's centered around yourself. Everything we do must give glory to Christ. That's a humbling thing, isn't it? So when you are gifted with the power of the Holy Spirit, it's to edify the body. And when the body's being edified, when we're serving each other, there's unity within the church. Listen, guys, listen, listen. If you can trace back any bickering within the church or backbiting or disunity, you know what it all boils down to? It all boils down to pride and selfishness. I want my way and I want it done my way. And if you don't do it my way, then there's going to be trouble. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we say, you know what? I want to do everything that glorifies Jesus. These are his gifts. You can take them away as much as you can give them. So Lord, I am just here to serve you. There's that perfect fellowship and it should work like that within the body of Christ. The Spirit does not work independently from the Father or the Son, but it works in perfect unison with each other. The Spirit is glorified when the church serves one another. That is why Christ instructed the early church to wait, 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 to have been clothed with this power from the Holy Spirit. This would be vital to their existence. They would not be able to survive with the Spirit's empowering. And so the book of Acts is a record of what happened when the church was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to look at over the next couple of months throughout the summer, we're going to look at how the church survived in its infancy. And like a newborn baby, the church had all kind of prompts. You know, it drives me crazy when I hear people say this. Oh, pastor, I wish we could go back to the book of Acts. The church was so perfect back then. Really? You need to read the book of Acts over again. Because it wasn't perfect. They had all kind of problems. In fact, one of their first problems, that's the reason why they had deacons come and help serve, because there were some that weren't being served. They're saying, well, there's a group of women over here, widows that aren't being served, and there became this big uproar. And, and so the church had to come together and say, hey, we're going to create this new office of deacons that deacon really literally means to serve tables. We're going to have them serve tables so that the apostles can study and pray and preach the word of God. So it relieved them from doing those other works that the church could do. So they created this office. And I tell you this all the time. For the pastor to have a healthy church and to have a healthy life, I look at it this way. If you allow me to lead and feed you, you'll have a healthy pastor and you'll have a healthy church. 
So that's why I tell you all the time, I may not be able to be at every single thing that goes on or every single hospital visit, but we will try to have somebody there. Um, with a church of 500, it's hard to do it, do it all, but we will try to do it. But here's the thing. There's that care that comes with that, but here's the expectation you've got to realize. My position as your pastor is to lead and feed you. That's it. Thank you, Ruth. Ruth's with me, so that's all I care about. Everybody else is like, wait a minute, Pat. I don't think I like that very much. Is that all you do around here? You just preach once a week anyways. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Just work on Sundays. You know how many times I hear that? If I had a nickel for every time I hear that, I'd be a rich man. Amen. I'm just teasing you. Listen, the church had all kinds of problems, and it was because of growth. As the church was growing, you're going to have problems. And guess what? When you have people mixed into that, you're going to have problems. If there's no people, there'd be no problems. Church would be great if no one came. We'd have absolutely no problems. It would be wonderful. Nobody showed up today. I could preach to nobody, maybe just Ruth, you know, and that's it. It'd be fun. It'd be, we'd have no issues, right? But with people come issues. How many are part of a family in a marriage? How many of you say, oh, our family is perfect, or we never have disagreements, we never have arguments. Get over yourself. You do, okay? We have issues. It's no different. It's people that come in and say, I don't like this church. I'm like, okay, when you find the perfect church, I'll resign and go with you. Because the minute I go over there, I'm going to make that church imperfect, right? So it doesn't, let's get over this, that we've got to learn to work through our differences. In fact, we're going to spend two weeks on these series of messages on working through our differences. How do we work through our differences without killing each other, right? We've got to learn to work through those things. And the early church had the same problem, and they worked through their differences. So here's the bottom line. As we study the person of the Holy Spirit, here's my prayer for you and my desire for you, that your heart would be open. And I know for some of you, from your different backgrounds or the way you were taught about the Holy Spirit, and, and maybe you just didn't know a whole lot about, and maybe even this message, you're like, wow, I didn't even know all that stuff about the Holy Spirit. My prayer for you is that you would have a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit, that you would know that the Holy Spirit is working through your life and speaking to your heart and gifting you to be used in the body of Christ like never before. And what we can do is we're going to go right through the scriptures and we're going to look at, at how the Holy Spirit operated so that we're balanced and we're doing what the scripture says, that God is moving our church into a new dimension. Amen? So let's make this our prayer. Before we take communion this morning and we go before the Lord's table this morning, I want you to prepare your hearts, even, even to the point where you start reading through, start reading through the book of Acts. Maybe you've never read through the book of Acts. Maybe you haven't read through the book of Acts in a while. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2 next week. So we're going to look at what it means to be baptized or filled or empowered by the Holy Spirit. Next week is going to be good. So I'm excited about next week, okay? So we're going to look at that particular topic. So if you want to read ahead, read Acts chapter 2. And we're going to dissect that. And my prayer for you is that God would empower you and continue to fill you with his presence and his power so you know and you feel God's presence each and every day in your life. Amen? So let me pray for you as we go to the, before we go to the Lord's table. So let me, let's just prepare our hearts. Let me pray for you today. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. You didn't leave us orphaned. You didn't leave us alone. And God, as we embark on this new series, 
Lord, we want you to be glorified. We want you to, to, to be the center of our heart. And I pray for every person here today that just feels like they lack power, that feel like their, their walk with you is a little stagnant, that it's not all that it can be. Lord, I pray for these series of messages in the Holy Spirit that they would begin to open their hearts to the working and the power of the Holy Spirit and you would fill every single believer, continually fill them with your presence and your power. That's available to us. We just have to ask. So Lord, we ask today that you would fill us anew and afresh. That God, you would take that heart, maybe the heart of stone like Ezekiel said, and that you, God, would make our hearts a heart of flesh. That God, you would fill us today that, God, you would pour your spirit out upon us today. So, Lord, I ask for that today as we just sit in your presence. We need you, Lord. And, God, it doesn't have to be some goofy, weird thing. God, it's such a special thing that happens when the life of a believer is open. So, Lord, we want to obey your words. We want to listen to you, Jesus. And we want to be spirit-filled people. So Lord, teach us and show us what it truly means to be spirit-filled people. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're our comforter, that you convict us of our sin, that you lead us in all truth, that you're in perfect unison with the Father and the Son. And we want to be a spirit-filled church that glorifies the Father and the Son, that we lift up each other, so that we have unity, that we're able to work through our differences and work through our problems in the spirit of Christ. Mature us, God, I pray. Mature us, Lord. Take us out of infancy and lead us on to maturity and to the deeper things of God. Challenge us, I pray, like we've never been challenged before. We need to be challenged, God. Lord, we, want, we don't want to settle for mediocrity or, or what we felt or experienced last year or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. That's in the past, God. You want to do a new thing in us today. So, Lord, help us to be open to what you want to do for us today. And I thank you for your people, God. Thank you for this church. And, Lord, just help us now. Lord, as we come to the table this morning, we thank you for what Jesus has done for us. Lord, we thank you that none of this would be possible. The promise of the Holy Spirit could never be possible unless there was a death. And Jesus, you died for us. You gave your life for our sin. And we, we recognize that the bread represents your body that was given for us and that the cup symbolizes your blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. So for everyone here today, God, we ask for forgiveness. We ask that you would cleanse us anew and afresh today so that we take communion, we, we have a clean heart, and we do it as an expression of our love for you and thankfulness for what you've done for us. So we pray your blessings over these elements, Lord, and a blessing over our lives as we commit our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask ushers to come forward at this time. Listen as they serve you and as the worship team leads us in worship uh, this morning. Uh, communion is open to everyone here. Uh, if you're part of the family of God and you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, by all means, take communion. 
And uh, we're going to take it together after they serve you. So wait till the end to take it together. And we'll pray over the elements together at the end. And uh, God bless you. And just worship the Lord as the worship team leads us today and as the ushers serve you. God bless you.
we're in your presence this morning, we give you glory and thanks for what you've done for us. Jesus, you said during that Passover meal, during that last meal, that last supper, as you took the bread, you broke it, and you said, this is my body which will be given for you. In the same manner, you, you took the cup, Lord, and you said, this is my blood that will be poured out for you. This is the new covenant that I, that I will make with my Father on behalf of you. It's, it's not just something, it's not just words, but it's my very life that I gave for you. It's my blood that I shed for you that will bind you to my Father, not through your works, not through any good things you've done, but you will have a right relationship with my Father because of my works and because of my blood. And so, Lord, we put our faith not in ourselves, not in our past, not in our brokenness, not in our sin. We put our trust in Christ who overcame all those things, who not only died on the cross, but three days later rose from the grave and through that power proved to be the Son of God, to be God himself, that he overcame sin and death. And that same promise you give to everyone who puts their faith and belief in you. Even though we die, we shall live. And that's our hope because we're no longer under the weight of sin that leads to death and condemnation and an eternal hell. But for those who put their strength and their faith and their hope in Christ, we too shall overcome. So we thank you for this remembrance that we have before us as we hold in our hands. We remember that sacrifice that you paid that Jesus, your blood covers us today from our sins and our iniquities. And when we are in Christ, we are clothed with his righteousness now. And the Father no longer sees our sin or sees our separation. He sees his son and what he's done for us. So I pray for every person here today that they would be found in the son today. And that would bring them peace and comfort an assurance that eternity is theirs. So we thank you. Thank you for this bread. Thank you for your body that was given for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Amen. Lord, we hold this cup in our hands, symbolic of your blood that was shed for us. Lord, we understand your word that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of our sin and our iniquity. So Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. Cleanse us anew and afresh today. God, fill us anew and afresh today with your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, for that precious, precious relationship that we can have with you. And I pray for any person that feels alone today, that feels lost, that feels hopeless, that they would feel that no longer because of what Christ has done for them. Thank you, Jesus, for being our best friend, for being our Savior, for giving everything for us. We love you today. We express our gratitude as we take these elements of what you've done for us. 
thank you for what this cup means in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Thank you guys for being so attentive to God's word today. And um, just, just grab the hand of the person next to you and let's just pray for each other as we leave today. I don't, when, when I take communion, I just get all mushy and I don't know. I just love the body of Christ. I love this church. Amen. You guys are great. Lord, I thank you for this church. We thank you for Jesus. I pray for every marriage, God. Pray for every family member, Lord. We pray for the person, Lord, on the right of us and the left of us, Lord. Lord, you know what they're going through. We're not alone. Thank you for the family of God that we can bear one another's burdens. We care for each other, Lord. Help us to care for each other. Let your spirit be alive in this place, Lord. Alive and well. Not dead and buried, but alive and well that every person that walks through these doors would know there's a risen Savior that's alive and we see it in the hearts of these believers. For every heart that doubts, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in a real way. Things that they can't explain that happen, that they know can only come from Christ. So make yourself alive in us today. I thank you for this body of believers. Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot easily be broken. I thank you for every soul here today. Give us a good week. God, as we have some time off and we celebrate our country, Lord, thank you, God, that we can worship you, that we're not persecuted. We pray for the persecuted church that doesn't have that freedom like we do. Pray for our president, our leaders, God. Touch their hearts. Grip them, God. And turn their hearts to you, Lord. We need you. We need you in our country, God. So, Lord, go with us and just help us remember all those service men and women that serve this country. That lay their lives down on the line every day. I just talked to a serviceman yesterday who just got back from Afghanistan. God, just touch them. Thank you for our service men and women. Thank you for our country. Just give you the glory. Thank you for this service, Lord, and your obvious presence of your spirit here today. We thank you for that. So go with us now, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Amen, amen, amen. amen. Good. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great 4th of July. Amen. Go in God's grace. Blessing be your name, Jesus. Blessing be your name.